I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hi there. This week, I'm excited to welcome Stephen Hudson to the podcast. Stephen is the Senior Vice President of Sales at Meridian Specialty Yarn Group and has held a number of roles in operations and sales throughout his tenure at the mill. Meridian is a mill and dye house in North Carolina that we partner with to make some of our yarn, and I'm really excited to have the opportunity today to have Stephen on the podcast to share more about Meridian. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. I'm pleased to be here. Can you start out by introducing yourself and sharing your professional journey in textiles? Sure. My name is Stephen Hudson. I've been in uh, textiles my whole working life. Um, I grew up in Yorkshire, England, uh, in an area that was dominated by textiles. And it, it just felt like, you know, the right thing or, you know, just so interested me that I got into that industry from leaving school. I joined a company as an apprentice. So I did on-the-job training as well as going to school at the same time. And it was interesting that the company did everything from uh, sorting the raw wool to scouring, carding, combing, uh, all the way through to uh, making yarn and dyeing yarn. And most of it went into the knitwear trade uh, in the Midlands in England. Um, From then, I uh, went to college and took my uh, degree in textile technology and... um, did various jobs within that company, uh, including technical services. And at some point, uh, an opportunity came up to join an acrylic manufacturing company um, that was a supplier to the spinner I worked at. And I joined them and did positions in manufacturing, technical services. And my career took a slight uh, turn within that company and that I wanted to be more involved in the commercial side of the business. So I joined the uh, sales team and became the uh, international sales manager, which uh, really broadened my experience. I got to travel and uh, it was just a wonderful experience. And after a number of years, the biggest market for that company was the um, United States. And they asked me to move here and look after their interests for North America. And that's how I uh, ended up here in the USA. And was it different working in the USA than where you had been? Was the textile industry, did it did it feel different in terms of what customers were looking for, or in terms of the way that the manufacturing was working? Well, it was, it was changing. It was starting to change. A lot of the manufacturing in England and Europe at that point was starting to go overseas. Um, this was back in 2001. It was still strong here. Um, so it, it was a change. Um, the customers, it, the customers were different. Yeah, I've been used to traveling in Europe and, and uh, China and Australia and New Zealand. So it was a little bit different. We spoke the same language, but it's slightly different. Um, but it was challenging. Um, enjoyed it and. It became clear to me, having been here a short time, that I most definitely wanted to stay here in uh, in the U.S. Hmm. 
And at what point did you move over to Meridian Specialty Yarn Group, which is where you're working now? In late 2005, the company I worked for uh, got into some difficulties. There was a, just a oversupply of acrylic in the world. And um, I had a green card at the time, which meant I could, you know, legally work for any company within the U.S. And Meridian at that time were just starting to get into the craft business. And I had been selling acrylic fiber to all the craft spinners in the U.S. So they asked me to come and join them to develop their craft yarn business. So that's when and where I started with Meridian. Well, I want to hear more about that, but first I want to back up a little bit and hear about um, the history of the mill and how it's adapted and changes over the years and and what you're focusing on today. I understand that now you're the senior VP of sales there, but you've had a number of different positions there over the years, including in operations. That's correct. When I first joined, the Meridian had actually just bought a company um, called Atlantic Spinners. They were predominantly making acrylic yarns that was for home furnishings. It was for the commodity hosiery business and the sweater business. And particularly the hosiery and the sweater business was in decline. You know, a lot of that manufacturing was starting to go overseas. So, you know, I joined and we already realized we needed to change direction. So we started to develop the Crafion business within Meridian, knowing and seeing that the sweater business and the home, uh, the hosiery business was going to go away. And actually, we replaced that business and built it to much bigger than the previous businesses that we were in. What kind of craft yarns were you making and focusing on in, at that time? And, and what was it like to pivot that business? We started off actually making craft yarns for other people. So the people that made craft yarns um, who had not enough capacity, we started off making their yarns for them. You mean for um, other mills? For other mills, yes. Mm. But then in 2008, well, so 2007, the craft yarn business, you know, actually declined when the, sort of the fancy yarn uh, boom and bust came. So we then, you know, people then had enough capacity to make their own yarn. So we had equipment um, that was not being utilized. So we then started developing our own yarns to sell to the other distributors within the industry that had strong brands at retail. That's how we started in the craft yarn business and grew that business. Um, and then until recently, you know, where we started changing direction within the craft yarn business. And what kind of yarns were you making? Was it a lot of acrylic? Was it a lot of natural fiber? And, and what kinds of crafts were you making them for? Okay, it was almost uh, almost entirely acrylic, uh, mainly um, what I would call classic yarns. Um, on the heavy side, more towards the bulky side, um, but and there was some cotton and a little bit of blends, but it was almost all uh, dyed acrylic. And have you seen the um, the demands for different kinds of yarns and fibers change over the years? Well, the challenge we faced was that the 
acrylic yarns are still strong, but, <clears throat> excuse me, they're strong, but the retailers have changed the way they purchase. They are using a private label. They're not using the brands as much. Um, and there is a lot of imported yarn now from uh, countries that uh, can make cheaper yarns than we can domestically. Yeah. So how have you been adapting to those changes? Well, we started developing probably a strategy a couple of years ago, knowing that this was becoming more and more difficult. We still make those yarns today, but in much lower volumes. And we felt there was a need for uh, a domestic mill to make more yarns that are made from natural fibres. So we went for more sophisticated, more luxury yarns made from wool and wool blends. Yes, and we work with you on some lines of yarn that are made from natural fibers and have really been very happy with the quality of the yarn that you're making. I'm curious if it was a big change operationally and on your manufacturing floor to go from the acrylic fibers to more natural fibers. Yeah, maybe I should back up a little yeah. bit there. One of the steps we made before we, we got to this point was we brought in uh, and, and we were looking for other markets, you know, to diversify away from having so much of the acrylic crappy hand business. And we developed a uh, wool uh, carpet yarn business. So we were producing uh, mainly 100% wool but some uh, wool blends that were used in carpets and in rugs. And this got us into processing domestic wool and imported wool, both uh, the, the, a lot of the wool used is uh, New Zealand wool, but we do run domestic wool. And it makes the same, well, it uses the same machines that you would make a craft yarn, uh, you know, for a, a knitter or a crochet or a hand weaver. So we had experience running wool. It was just for a different end use. So we used our experience to start looking at the uh, craft yarn business using wool and wool blends. Hmm. And did it require retraining a lot of your workers to be focusing on different kinds of fibers? It's a little bit different, but not hugely. Um, hmm. I think what we had to learn was that a lot of this... Um, the customers for these yarns are very involved emotionally in the product. Hmm. And a lot of it is feel and touch and look. You know, the, the technical side of it is is not so strong. Uh, so we had to adapt our thinking and think more like the customer we were now talking to rather than talking in numbers and technical terms. Yeah. Speaking of that, I'm curious if you could talk about the yarn development process. So you sell to companies like ours and bigger than ours, and you also work with companies to make custom lines of yarn. And I'm curious, um, what is that development process like? If somebody wanted to make a line of yarn with you, what, can you walk through that process of what that sure. looks like from fiber through to dyeing it? Absolutely. It, it, we do this in different ways, and it depends on what the customer is looking for. We actually do design and develop yarns ourselves. Um, 
But that's more difficult because we're not close enough to the actual consumer to know exactly what they want. So we can at times waste time doing that. What we prefer to do is talk to our customer and, and try and get a feel for what they're looking for. And then we use our experience um, to try and design or engineer a yarn, including the fibers uh, chosen to, to go into the yarn, the fiber blend, uh, the structure of the yarn to try and engineer it to what the customer is really looking for. And we find one of the, the best ways of doing that is obviously is to, is to talk to people and, and get information but what we've had most success with is when people come and visit and look at our equipment and look at what we can do. And, and by talking through this and looking at it together, then we find that the development is much faster and, and much more accurate. And we tend to get more hits and misses doing it that way. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you also operate a dye house and we send you color samples of what we're looking for. And I have found that you guys totally knock it out of the park, like do just a really, really good job of, of matching colors. And I'm curious what that process is like. And if it's, if it's that you have employees there that just have a ton of skill of matching colors or if there is more computer oriented ways that you're able to do that I'm just we're always so impressed at, at how close your colors are to what we ask for it's interesting you bring that up because one of the things that uh, sent us down this road in the early days was we were approached by some smaller companies that you know wanted a full package but they couldn't get everything in the same place um, and they were, they were big enough for us to talk to, but, but too small for some other people's. So they were having to have things done at various different companies. They couldn't get anybody that could do everything that they needed. And, and obviously, you know, the thing that we can do is we can, we can obviously source raw materials. We can make yarn. Uh, we can package it differently, but we can also dye yarn. Um, and our dye house, which is um, just about 50 miles from the spinning plant, um, they are experts at matching colour. They can take Pantone chips, they can take a small sample, and th they do use um, some equipment that will measure colour. And that only gives you a starting point. You're then relying on the expertise of the person knowing how to make adjustments to the formulas to, to match the color uh, accurately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many people do you have working in your dye house? Is it, is it a big operation? Well, the, the dye house is a big operation, but there is a lot of automation in there, which means there are not that many people employed in the actual dyeing process. Um, the lab matching is labor intensive and we, we have a team in there. Um, and, and what they'll do is they'll start off by dyeing a very small amount, uh, to get the color close. And then they transfer that into a, a, a bigger machine that dyes just one package or a couple of pounds of yarn. And then once that's approved, they then take that formula into the big dye machines. Hmm. 
you know, as you've been as you've been describing in this conversation, the many different ways that Meridian and your team have adapted and shifted to changes. You've said, you know, then we move to this and we change this. And I'm sure that there were many challenges along the way in terms of adapting the team and adapting the equipment. And I'm, I'm curious what some of the biggest challenges that you faced and if those change over the years or if they remain pretty constant. No, I mean, with every change you make, there is a change in mentality needed. Hmm. Uh, you know, before we were running big volume, we were running big lots. Um, you know, it was all about volume, manufacturing, getting as many pounds through the door as we could. Um, we, you know, we, we had to change our mindset. We've had to go to much smaller runs, which is a challenge. You know, you, you, the people have to work differently. We have to be much more flexible. We have to be multi-skilled. You know, we have to move people around. They have to be flexible. They have to be open to change. Uh, so that there are challenges. Uh, people don't like change. They're not comfortable with change, but you have to adapt. Uh, you know, you, you cannot stay where you are or you're going backwards. What are what are some of the techniques that you and your company have used to help your team become more comfortable with those changes? Well, the, the one thing we, we, we've we done, and this was an absolute necessity, is, uh, and also the labor market has been incredibly tight as well. So we have different processes, and they're not all usually busy at the same time. So we have a workforce that is multi-skilled. They're trained on at least four or five different jobs and they have to go where the work is. They have to go where they need it. And they understand that. And, and we actually, the people that can do more jobs, we actually pay them more money. Uh, but that, that's the way we operate our mill. It's flexibility. It's adaptability and uh, people willing to do different things. Are people coming into your mill already having the experience they need or are you needing to train people from the ground up? No, we have to train people. Yeah. People coming in may be, able, may be able to do one job. You know, they may say, oh, I'm a spinner. And uh, we say, great, you know, if you're already trained on spinning, that's great. But, you know, you will be required to learn these other jobs. Uh, and most people are okay with that. Uh, in today's work environment. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the fiber sourcing process that you use. The fi a lot of the fiber that we work with you on is produced domestically, and I know you work a lot with cotton producers and wool producers domestically, and I'm curious how you've seen fiber production in U.S. change over the years and if it's become easier or harder to get the kinds of fibers and the quality or quantities that you're looking for. Well, we obviously are a domestic manufacturer, so we, where possible, will source domestic raw materials. Um, we, you know, we do have a good source for domestic wool. Uh, we have um, good sources for uh, both cotton, uh, both the, the cotton fibre and the cotton yarns. Um, the challenge we face, I think, is that the, the pool is smaller. You know, you are limited now for the number of people that you can work with. But right now we have secure sources and we support domestic manufacturers wherever possible. There are some products not available. So we do uh, source product from overseas, uh, particularly uh, from Europe, 
but um, that's only when we cannot get it in the U.S. When you say that the pool is limited, is that because farmers and ranchers are are producing less maybe than they were 10 years ago or just that there's different avenues that they're selling into or what does that mean? Well, not so much the farmers, but for instance, a lot of the cotton is is sold overseas. It's not it's not processed here. Um, on the wool side, you know, the, there is the wool is available, but I only have one person that can scour and process the wool into the form that we need to use it in. Right, right. Yes, that sounds like big challenges. <laughs> <laughs> Have, is that different? I'm just curious. I know that everything in the textile industry has, has changed over the decades, but I'm just curious if it's like that also when you were starting out your career um, or are things different in other countries? Are they more diversified? Well, if if you look, you know, obviously my most of my time in textiles other than here was spent uh, in England, mm-hmm. and most of the textile manufacturing does not exist anymore in England. Mm. It's, it's just not there. There are some, but it's very, very small, where it was huge, uh, you know, not that many years ago. But, you know, the... Um, the challenge here is that they, there are plenty of opportunities, but they don't come to you. You have to go looking for them. Yes. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of things that you're going to look for, you have developed with your team a new line of undyed yarns that I believe you're already selling to indie dyers or you're about to start selling to them. And I'm curious if you could talk more about the process of developing those yarns and also how people who might want to buy them from you should reach out to you. Okay. Well, you know, this, this follows on from, you know, the conversation we had earlier about you know, we believe in that there was a need for a, a domestic mill to produce wool and wool blend yarns for for the weavers, for the hand dyers. Um, so we actually looked into this ourselves, and I spoke to several different people in the industry, and we were look we looked for someone to help us that knew this market better than we did, and uh, we were recommended um, a lady called Jean De Costa from Elemental Effects, uh, and she is a hand dyer. So we wanted to use her experience on how she saw yarns. Uh, so we uh, brought her in as a consultant to help us, and we developed a whole line of new yarns for our line. And we also do bespoke yarns for people that want their own unique yarn. So we do both. We'll, we'll develop a, a house line, but we'll also have people come to us and say, you know, I want a yarn just for me. Um, you know, let's develop it together. Now, that new line is the Meridian Mill House, and we are just in the process of launching the website this week. Uh, but we do have product developed and in inventory for that line. What kinds of quantities do you sell in for independent dyers that are looking for? One kilo. Mm. And we sell on cone or in, in skeins for dyeing. That's pretty low quantities. That's great. Are there any other projects that you have on the horizon with Meridian that you're feeling excited about that you want to share about? 
That's the first stage in what we call our luxury craft business. Um, you know, was to go for the, uh, you know, the hand-eyed market. But we feel like we will, we have the equipment here to produce different yarns. And obviously we have a dye house. So at some point we will move, uh, we'll broaden that line to include other products, not just undyed yarn for the hand dyers. Mm. Well, I really appreciate the time you've taken to talk to me and also the the time and care that you put into making the yarns that you make for our company. Um, I'm wondering if you have any closing advice for weavers and other textile artists who are interested in supporting d- domestic textile production. I think the only thing <laughs> I could say is that we all need to stick together. Hmm. We all need each other. And if we work together, I think we can all be successful. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's a wrap. To see photos of Meridian, links, and to see the yarn that we make with Meridian, please go to www.gistyarn.com slash episode hyphen 117. Next week on the podcast, LaShawn is talking to Tammy Williams. Tammy is an amazing fiber artist based in Brooklyn, New York. Tammy's fiber practice incorporates an array of fiber-making mediums from weaving and knitting to sewing and construction, using beautifully patterned and colorful fabrics and materials. In their conversation, they talk about Tammy's new business venture, Yarn and Whiskey, and how it led her to make masks in response to the recent COVID-19 pandemic. Stay tuned for next week's podcast episode, and until next time, happy weaving!